The Voice America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio. My guest today on In Discussion, Jean Manning. She was born in Cordova on Alaska's pristine Prince William Sound. Jean's father was a lawman, and later he moved the family to a farm in northern Idaho, where she continued contemplating nature and human nature. She earned her way through the University of Idaho with a Bachelor of Arts Honours in Sociology. Marriage, a job in social work, and three children, Teresa, Jay, and Stan, followed. And after moving to the Okanagan Valley of Western Canada, she parented while writing for newspapers and a regional magazine. She's also been an editor, counselor, Big Brother's executive director, and publicist for a theatre company that travelled in gypsy wagons pulled by Clydesdale horses. In 1981, she encountered an electrician who invented a potentially revolutionary magnetic motor, and through him and his wife, she met others in the free energy underground, from Germany to South Africa, and discovered books about Nikola Tesla and other unsung pioneering heroes. The implications of their inventions included two of her concerns, ecology and social justice. And then during the 1980s, she began researching for a book about this fascinating movement and its people. Over the years, she's written many articles about frontier science, and joins me today on In Discussion. Jean Manning. Welcome to In Discussion today, and it is a great privilege to be joined by my guest, Jean Manning. Jean, welcome to you. Thank you. What a wonderful way to come together through our mutual friend, Dr. Brian O'Leary. It is very nice of you to join me. Amazing work that you are involved in, and I'm exploring as part of my mandate the new science working with Brian and William Tiller and Nassim Haramain and others. This is a very significant area today, I believe. I would like to, for the audience, just to begin with a brief background of your life, realizing that you originally came from Alaska. Noted also that you were impacted by the Exxon Valdez crisis. I wonder, given where you are today, uh, looking back in retrospect, what do you see as a catalyst that brought you into this area of work? Well, there were a number of environmental issues that all turned out to be around energy. Uh, at the time when I met an inventor who uh, introduced me to this non-conventional scene, that was 1981, the province that I live in, British Columbia, was looking at damming up uh, more, yet more farmland along the Peace River. And crazily enough, that issue is circled around to surface again at this time. And in the meantime, uh, of course, we've, we've had awareness of, of um, how horrid our energy choices are right in our faces right now. But uh, even before I got into that, I knew that uh, nuclear power was the wrong way to go. Uh, my family was subjected to um, a release from the Hanford radio um, 
nuclear reservation when they released a, a cloud, I believe it was in the 1950s, and it floated over our farm. And of course, the public wasn't told about it in that decade, not till downwinders became ill. Years later did they find out, but my mother and sister have both had thyroid and cancer uh, serious issues. And uh, just in general, that first year, learning about the um, possibilities for magnetic motor generators, at the time, it all looked like, um, you know, who knows, I'm not a, uh, in the hard sciences, my degree is in sociology, and so I can't judge the reality of these inventions, but it's a fascinating scene. That was my, for the first years, that was my motivation, was to write for the general public, so they, like like I, had encountered an, a really interesting scene with a lot of drama and and uh, cloak and dagger even and uh, inventors coming up against obstacles and and so that was my first intention was just to write a book uh, for the general public about how interesting it was. But that soon evolved as I became really over the years convinced by the experts that I dealt with of the reality of of these inventions. I've been working with so many of these wonderful people. Nassim inspires me. We spend so much time on the telephone talking. There are two principal personalities, I believe, that we've been able to watch over the last hundred years, certainly Tesla and Victor Schoberger. I love that statement by Victor, I must furnish those who would protect or save life with an energy source which produces energy so cheaply that nuclear fission will not only be uneconomical but ridiculous. This is the task I have set myself and what little life I have left. They call me deranged, the hope is that they are right. It is of no greater or lesser import for yet another fool to wander this earth. But if I am right and science is wrong, then may the Lord God have mercy on mankind. It always resonates to me, that statement, because it reflects so much, or it's certainly indicative of incredible people over the last 100 years in particular who have been armed with the knowledge to take free energy off of the tabletop and make it a reality, and yet we have seen huge suppression, not only in this area, but in many areas in science. Do you think that that is changing now by default, simply because of where we are with fossil fuels? We are simply moving into a different epoch. I always talk about a gap that we're certainly in now with much chaos. Would you concur with those statements? I really do believe we are moving definitely into a different epoch, and the leadership is not coming from official sources, but rather from grassroots cooperation on the Internet. This is a wonderful tool that we didn't have some years ago when I first started looking into these issues. We didn't have the ability to connect people in real time for conversations with the forums that are going on now. The sharing among the inventors and, and the experimenters is really getting us into the new epoch. That's what's bringing us, bringing us in. It's, it's not mainstream leading the way uh, in government or, or media circles, but rather um, the people are fed up and they are in, intent on doing something different, if they know about it. And there's a really quite a large number of people around the world. Un unfortunately, it's mostly guys because they're the ones who love to do experiments. But 
more and more women also are becoming aware that, uh, oh, things don't have to be this way. And also, I, I appeal to them with Schaubrugger's words too, um, because that's actually what um, turned the tide for me from just being kind of a, a, a journalist who's going to have fun with it, writing about something interesting to somebody who's just committed to um, doing whatever it takes to get the word out that, that we could have technologies that are in harmony with nature. Uh, reading Victor Schauberger's words and, and his life story is what really, really turned things around for me in 1986, um, about five years after I first met that inventor. And uh, a man named William Baumgartner gave me some books and biography of Schauberger. And then I realized, oh, there's a lot more at stake here than just uh, a better invention. Uh, it's a whole philosophy of our stewardship of the planet and that it's not necessarily to just throw up our hands in despair and say, oh, humankind's just going to keep on creating more messes and there's nothing can be done about it. That's not true at all. And that's the message that I'm just really doing everything I can to get out. We have a, a speech event coming up in Vancouver on Monday night, or, and actually it's being organized by several young people, which really gives me pleasure because I'm, I'm growing long in the tooth and, and um, it's wonderful to see a, a young woman mathematician who worked for a title power company and read uh, my book Breakthrough Power and just decided to organize an event herself. This epoch that we talk about though is different, is it not? Uh, I'm beyond everything else that I do here have been understanding history for many many years I can look at any civilization you know, for the last three or four thousand years and see that it's been well evidenced as to the way that epochs come to an end but never that well defined as how they start again but this epoch is different because beyond all of the prophecies the Mayan calendar uh, the the discussions about 2012 we have a darker agenda here I believe and if we not only are we looking at the state of humanity which is in chaos we could correlate that with chaos theory if we really want to talk scientific jargon but on top of that we're also talking about a world with so many earthquakes and natural disasters that is prompting me to think that either a we completely eradicate fossil fuels extremely quickly or b mother earth is going to turn around as she is now and say i've had enough i'm inclined to certainly agree with that and there's a a line of thinking in in um, kind of a subset of the of the new science that's it's pretty radical but it but it resonates with me at a gut level is that uh we are ignorant of something that's called life force. I mean, 20th century reductionistic materialistic science does not recognize the reality of this life force in our atmosphere. And that Mother Earth is suffering in ways that, that we aren't even recognizing by our radiating technologies really having a very dire effect on that life force. And that is a part of the cause perhaps of, of the striking back sorts of weather patterns. This is not, you know, Mother Nature is not our enemy as, as the headlines place it, but rather uh, trying to rebalance her systems, her 
not just the, the vegetation ecosystems, but the flows and the pulsations, the natural order of the atmosphere, which we just don't understand. And I've only gotten glimpses through some uh, pretty far out frontier sciences. But my my gut tells me that 100 years from now, whoever is is living on the planet will look back at our ignorance and just weep for what we're doing with our nuclear radiating technologies, creating creating more of a mess than we realize. So it's, of course, it's all invisible, but um, well, I, I'm sure Nassim has an understanding of the geometries of the back, background energy and also recognizing the life force. Or not very many people are talking about it, but that's, uh, we just in general, if we'd followed Schauberger's advice, we wouldn't we wouldn't be doing this. I mean, he he warned against uh, going down the route of radiating technologies, and 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 told us that you know we've we've got to be looking at him inward spiraling, uh, cooling, quiet, imploding sorts of motions in our technologies, and and we haven't gone that gone that route. It's a very difficult situation because we are faced up to two pivotal problems in my mind. And that is an establishment that is unwilling to let go of the predatory greed created by fossil fuels, nuclear energy and other platforms. And then on the other hand today, in what appears to me in a very accelerating world, a complete ignorance as you talk about of people or citizens unwilling because of that manipulation to change their lifestyles. This is why I wonder if we are going to reach a catalytic point. It's almost almost the analogy of a 4 by 2 behind the back of our heads, which has certainly happened in uh, past civilizations, before we get to that point. But what is it that we can do in bridging citizens with these companies, such a, uh, offensive companies like uh, Chevron and BP, so that they can both get it, both understand it, both bridge together through a unified understanding that everybody's ignorant here, even if they're sitting around a board table and thinking that they're protected from this, that they in indeed are not. Uh, what do you think that that mechanism is before we rapidly here come to a close where humanity could be forever closed down? I don't have a, a lot of hope of it coming from the corporate world as fast as it could come from a grassroots made aware. And it all has to be interlinked, uh, interpenetrated by consciousness revolution. Now, this is what we've been saying in the new energy movement that uh, the new energy technologies have to come in hand in hand with a consciousness revolution. And what you said about the, the old two by four to the back of the head, I think, is providing enough of a shakeup for a significant number of people, maybe a critical mass, that there are a lot of people looking around and saying, well, we we really haven't this isn't turning out the way we expected it so what's what's really going on and so they're more receptive than they've ever been to uh, a message that has uh, different from the standard uh, messages that are getting given out on the <clears throat> television and through mass media 
I, I'm not trying to to go to the boardrooms at this point uh, and talk with the. I mean, if if they're willing to look at the non-conventional energy technologies with an eye to actually cooperating and not just buying them up and shelving them, great, you know. Um, and, and I know that will come because I don't I don't see them. Uh, people in the corporate world is all separate. We're they're they're souls that are learning lessons and, and they're just at the same level as all of us, but they just may have a little bit more to lose financially than, than people like me who, who uh, are, are free of, uh, of wealth, <laughs> financial wealth. So they'll, they'll all come around. They'll all come around because we have to. Years ago, wondered what it would take. Decades ago, I wondered what it would take to wake up a critical mass of, of the people so that they would um, insist on things being done in a different way and, and, and insist that we no longer have uh, governments ruled by corporate lobbyists and that we um, actually make decisions for the good of the whole. Um, and it's taken a lot, hasn't it? Um, the Gulf of Mexico disaster has certainly awakened a lot of people and that is the only side of it. I look back at 1890, 1900, around the turn of the century, when you had individuals such as Tesla, who not only understood the theory, but also put it into practice. Now, at that stage, it was fully suppressed. We are now 100 years later. And it's very evident in talking to so many new scientists that we're now beyond the tabletop and we are actually seeing as lately a vehicle, water-powered vehicle come out of Japan that is tried and tested and armed with uh, zero emissions. It's still an uphill battle though. Um, you do have this establishment that is very reluctant to uh, let go of fossil fuels. But I wonder sometimes whether it would be more profitable for them in the long run to let go of fossil fuels and take up on this new technology rather than suppress it now. And I'm not sure whether they are aware of these new technologies. I can talk to my job as somebody who bridges between both sides of the fence is to allow people to recognize what's going on 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 both those sides but I talk to many especially friends in Los Angeles who are communicators in what they consider to be new energies solar panels etc which I suspect really are not and they have no idea when you use technology as zero point or free energy. So that there's a, a definite disconnect. And of course, that disconnect, I'm assured, is created by a media which has completely lost itself because it is very compromised by big money. Yes. You, you wonder when they would be willing to let go and, and uh, you know, the corporation involved in fossil fuels turn to something better been explained to me that they have what's called sunk investments and uh, this can this could go on just forever it's, it is going to come from out the decision making is probably not going to come from within a boardroom where they look at uh, what they have what they've sunk money in and decide to go for something different they're going to be forced to buy um, suddenly their products are not uh, the way people are turning uh, because suddenly um, say the um, 
energy catalyzer of, of the Italian team that has been announced this winter is on the market, being coming commercialized as it were well maybe before the end of this year. Uh, and at that point, at that point, the corporate interest, interest will deal with it. But there is such an inertia apparently, and and yes, I do believe that a lot of of people in uh, decision making high places do know that these non-conventional technologies are being worked on and um, the replies that colleagues have received when they've been able to get through to, oh for instance, um, one who was able to get through to Assistant Secretary of, uh, of Energy I think and the document was placed because of the connections this person was able to hand deliver and place it right in front of the of the man and and you know wait for a response and the response was not i don't believe this is true the response was i'm not interested so i don't know what the discussions have gone on exactly the exact wording but i just see the results and so that's why i place my work in both educating as many members of the public as I can and, and encouraging people to support, uh, if they're philanthropists, if they could help one of these inventors who are so close to, to finishing their work but have run out of money and gone into debt, borrowed their money from their families and friends and, and just are stuck and have a choice of either going with some, some investor who is presenting a, a very... Uh, one-sided contract that wherein the inventor will end up not owning uh, the right to see that this technology is carried on or giving up. There's so many stories that I could tell about uh, inventors who are are not the stereotypical paranoid crazies but are good people family people whose families have, have made sacrifices to get them where they are and they just, just plain have, have just need a few thousand dollars maybe in some cases just to, to get a little bit farther along the way but generally it's, in, it's around a hundred thousand dollars because of the cost of machine work and building something that's been, never been built before. When you talk about the emerging science paradigm and I raise that now because I wonder whether that has double meanings, as in, yes, you're talking about, as I mentioned, a new epoch, you're talking about a new paradigm in science. Is that a new paradigm not just in science, but also technology and also psychology, physiology? Uh, is it... Or could it, in another way, be defined as an equation where science and technology now equals spirituality? Is it a far-reaching statement that you are making there? Yes, in a word, yes. This is uh, you're getting right down to the core of of what really keeps me in this uh, with such a long-time commitment and. and obsession really is because it's all in the context of, of evolving spiritually to um, the possibility of a, of a civilization that's based more on sharing and caring and based on an understanding of this background substance that we're all interconnected in and we're all created out of and everything is created out of it so yes the 
the emerging science is getting closer to an understanding of that primal energy and and some of the scientists are getting it well dr um, marcel vogel once answered a question an audience member asked what is the most powerful force in the universe and dr vogel stood there in the science um, auditorium meeting and he said the most powerful force in the universe is l o v e <laughs> i was I, I was so encouraged, and, and of course, over the years since then, um, since he passed away, I've, I've met people like Nassim and Brian who totally, totally get it. And that's what excites me. It was actually uh, kind of prepared for um, getting excited about uh, new science when I was reading spiritual works back even before I met that inventor in 1981 in a book talking about the force flowing throughout the universes and swirling down in, into the physical and, and uh, in the vortexian motions that it, it works in. And uh, so everything uh, rung true uh, that's connected with um, seeing this new paradigm as basically um, being about spirituality and, and uh, a more conscious way of being in our world. To those who sit around the boardroom table and to many people in the public I don't think that they understand that I think that if you said to them that we have to as human beings understand and come into some sort of parity with the wavelengths of Mother Earth they would find that difficult to understand but is it not new energy that is working off the ambience working off the universal energies that is actually trying to achieve absolutely that oh yes you mean as in we were helped uh it's helping us is that what you mean absolutely yes yes oh i see that in my own life um no doubt and i i would love to tell the general public uh, the whole truth. <laughs> We've, we found in the new energy movement we had to, to kind of uh, ease into it. We present the fact that there are technologies that work in harmony with nature, but that we also recognize that technology is never a magic bullet. It's, it's only a tool. It's, uh, it's not the cure-all for humanity's problems but rather it could be a powerful tool for leveraging change, get it, getting us off of the fossil fuel, get, getting that weight off, off, from, off of us uh, as a civilization. It's just m much more powerful than the um, alternatives which I support too, the, the standard clean energy alternatives of solar, wind, biomass, geothermal, etc. Um, all good stuff, but they haven't um, so far come up with something that's uh, energy dense enough to convince people that we do not we do not need to build any more nuclear power reactors we do not need to keep on using them it just hasn't been persuasive enough I, i'm sure we could have changed over to clean energy with what we have already including conservation and and building buildings that are earth sheltered partially and solar oriented and and using every um trick in the book that humankind knows about but of course vested interests uh, gave out the message to the public that 
well, we have to keep on with the fossil fuel economy and look at all the jobs it provides. And they never mentioned that there could be other jobs that are actually cleaner, more satisfying jobs. I always remember that Albert Einstein quote, few are those who see with their own eyes and feel with their own hearts. And when you look at Japan today and you see the absolute chaos, uh, you see the problems they have, it's amazing to me that as human beings we seem to be able to as spectators watch a disaster like that and yet continue with a paradigm that is wholly the problem that has created that disaster i'm wondering what that says about human beings today it's certainly a time as with the Teslas and the, the Schoebergers, of moral courage. But of course the fear is that moral courage these days will land you literally, as with them, living under a bridge. But is that not what it is all about today, to lead by example for the next generation for thousands of years? Uh, it's been absolutely evident that each generation has basically taken the position, look, we have the problem, let's just leave it to the kids to sort it out. But it seems to me that we are the generation of all generations here. We have to sort it out for their way of life, for them to have some sort of hope here. Yes, it is a time of courage. And I think that the process over many decades of, of uh, the dumbing down of the public and the entertainment media um, it, it's all kind of um, what, what again what Schauberger predicted that our society will be affected by our choices uh, in a way that uh, degrades the character and I'm not going to give up just because we have reached a point where there's a, a lot of degradation but it is a time for people to step forward and live up to the highest ideals that the human spirit is capable of. And I know that it's it's still in us all um, because I've seen what happens in the small-scale disasters that I've been in, like a, a forest fire that was burning part of a city that I was living in and how we had to flee, but that the courage, the, the heroism of ordinary people uh, reaching out to help strangers it never needing any recognition for it but just that's what we as human beings do we do have a noble spirit we it's it's in all of us it's innately we are we're souls who have an, an endless connection to the source and uh, just because we we have uh, laid around watching television for and gone out and consumed and and uh, just not paid attention to what we we're doing, not been mindful, doesn't mean that a significant percentage of people can't uh, become mindful now, and they are. And I, and I see a lot of hope in a lot of very fine young people who are uh, just with good humor and, and just straightforward matter of fact doing what they can. I, of course, in my field, more likely to meet the university students who come to the energy conferences, but uh, particularly one young man that I met in uh, November at a conference, we've Skyped since then, and then he's just really in my heart as, as somebody who has decided that his particular mission is laid out for him, and, and he's going to go for it. 
<laughs> I think you're defining very well what I consider or talk about as the 80s generation. There's many of these kids now who are working very hard in places like Haiti, uh, Asia, places like Nigeria to make a difference. They are very conscious uh, and I'm I'm getting to the stage actually where I think this word conscious is being overused but there's no other better word right now to define that conscious to me is working with the heart rather than working with a left brain mentality but they they are clearly out there and the problem is though is unlike previous generations, I do think that we do have to lead the way. And the reason that I talk about moral courage is I had a super conversation a couple of days ago with David Icke, who is such a controversial character around the world. But we spent a couple of hours talking about these things. And I did pose the question to him, and it may be naive, but I posed it anyway. And I'll see what you think about this. But in order to, under the present circumstances, in order for us to gain everything, we literally have to lose everything. Because at the moment, in this very do-consume mechanic world, do-consume world, this, this predatory greed world, people are going to reflect the human emotions, the greatest of which is fear, because while they still have something, they're always going to be worried about losing it. Well, it appears to me that part of the equation that is approaching us is that if we are to move on into this next epoch, it may be that people have to lose absolutely everything, return back to the soil to get to the point where those human emotions are now basically gone. Yes. Like I said, I've wondered what it takes. It just may take losing everything. I've seen people in my lifetime, even when I was uh, in the job of um, employment counselor to women who were who had lost everything, including their marriages, and they found strengths that they never dreamed they had when they just absolutely faced the wall, had to, had to do something to put food in their children's mouths and they learned what they were capable of. Yeah, fear is is the worst thing that it's being pumped up to to higher and higher levels and the only antidote is love. Yeah, I I I wondered if if things don't have to break down. In fact, I even said that in the the very first interview I did, which is in 96 and and uh wondered how after how that would go over. The only thing I was quoted in a, a documentary was that maybe things have to break down before we can grow a, a better society out of the compost of the old, uh, that maybe the old just really has to break down completely. I think the reason that I raise that or suggest that is I'm citing Japan. We're all looking at Japan, and my goodness me, I'm also alarmed that so many in this world that we live in uh, are not realizing the impact of it, and not realizing just uh, what dire circumstances these people are finding themselves in. But then again, I look at it on a different level, and I wonder, yes, it's dreadful, Yes, it certainly created uh, the benefit of quite possibly eradicating nuclear power. But also for them, 
they are essentially now having to rebuild from scratch with nothing. And I wonder sometimes whether that's a benefit and places them in a mode of preparation that uh, we in America are nowhere near. They at least have reached this basis of rock bottom in the hog's pen. They have nowhere to go but up. And that is, it's tough to take that because they are in, in such a, a dreadful state. But it could be that they unknowingly are in a better position than many who are still living in this very, very predatory greed society. Yes, it could be. And, and I've also wondered if it's no accident that a people who uh, really present a better example of, of character, strong character, than most of us, are, have the ones that have been, I don't know if you can use the word chosen, to display to the world the total breakdown that's happening because they are presenting an example of just going about things always an eye towards helping this, their neighbor and strangers. Um, the example that they're presenting of cooperating rather than competing for the water and, and the food. Not wishing to spend too much time on this, but it's raised, and actually recently I've been rather alarmed. Uh, there are s many camps that are suggesting that Japan and other regions like Chile were experiments. Uh, some are talking about this harp platform, others are saying it's something else. Do you think there's a precedence in that, uh, or do you think that it, it's only serving to provide ever more fear for people at this stage? I would say the latter. Even though I co-authored a book back in uh, 1995 on the topic, I am no expert, and neither are the people who are, are making wild speculations on uh, late-night talk shows. And it, it's, it, it is. It's just driving people nuts. So I prefer to just look at what I do know and what I can do something about. Where do you think this year and next year will take us, Jean? I am looking at a spiraling downwards situation here. We are seeing Earth movements more in the last six years, I believe, than ever before. Do you think that it is going to be some sort of catalytic event that has created accumulation of all of these events over the course of this year and next year that will bring civilization to its knees, bring the fossil fuel industry to its knees, rather than an advocacy effort by the people. Do you have any ideas and your or your thoughts as to where this is going to lead us? And I'm realizing that there is a great humility, as far as I'm concerned, in, in uncertainty, but it's always nice to know what people's thoughts are. I think it's quite likely that this turbulent time, both economically and, and in, to do with earth changes, is going to continue, and um, that we haven't seen much yet compared to what's coming is quite possible. And yes, that would, just the um, economic failures that are inevitable or, or can bring um, industries to their knees. But as far as the advocacy by the people, I have never seen that as the cure-all or, or galloping to the rescue, but rather the more 
knowledge that people have before it's pretty hard to uh, keep factories going and, and uh, transport materials and get a hold of materials to, to build things. The, the, the more of a head start we can get, the better. And knowledge can be brought out again when, uh, when the dust settles. I, I, I can't uh, predict what's going to happen, of course, but that's kind of what I think is a likelihood is that the more that we can empower people with the knowledge that our, our way of life as we've had it is, is not the best. It, it's, it's gotten out of touch with the, with the values of, of caring for one another and, and the values of um, caring for your bioregion and, and um, living within your bioregion's resources and, and stewarding those resources and um, making sure that your water, the water that you have stewardship over it has been kept free from all the, all these energy related, you know, fracking, cracking rock for shale or oil uh, pipelines or oil tankers or God help us anymore, nuclear fission, all the energy related horrors that we've created. the more that people can take responsibility for realizing that that a future civilization is going to have to start with family, community, bioregion, and uh, building self-sufficiency within our within our surroundings, and cooperating, not digging a hole in the ground with guns and you know uh, that idea of uh, being prepared. But well, some of the authors who are writing about something that I don't really concern myself about so much, the peak oil, have some really good ideas about uh, building community and, and what we should be doing to prepare for any eventuality. People just realize that the sooner they unhook themselves from the television set, which just keeps pumping up their fear level and, and that's not good for their health, <laughs> the more likely that they'll be able to uh, get their families through whatever comes. It's interesting that you say that. I haven't myself watched television for two years. I've concentrated fully on this this programming. And for the first time two nights ago, Jean, I turned the television on in a hotel room. And I was absolutely shocked at the programs, given the strife and the horror in countries like Chile and Japan. There is something very, very wrong with the system, and it's more than just an economical meltdown or predatory greed. It appears to me to be a great darkness. We could go back uh, hundreds of years. I can go back to the Great Inquisition, the history of the Freemasonry. You could talk about it endlessly, and there is certainly a pattern. But today... This is why I began this, by making the statement that there is an ignorance on both sides of the fence. There's an ignorance, and I've been covering very heavily the aftermath of the Deepwater Horizon disaster, becoming an advocate for people down there who are so terribly ill. But in fairness, there is an ignorance both sides. There's an ignorance by the citizens of exactly what the corporations are doing as much as there is from the corporations who I work with quite intensely in my work as a bridge who frankly have no idea in many cases 
of the long-term ramifications just in the Gulf of Mexico, where I suspect that it will make the Exxon Valdez look like rather a small disaster. And so the accountability does go both ways, does it not? Yes, um, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just speechless for a moment, just thinking of this this, this image of the of the great darkness. Um, and there's the greater the darkness, the the greater the invisible light. I believe that things are somewhat in balance from a spiritual perspective, and so that as we see all the evidence of this degraded civilization and and the darkness, um, that the help that individuals are getting on a spiritual level and sometimes even even saving our lives, it's just equally strong. We only have to call on it, ask for help, and it's available in abundance. I agree. I, I'm the eternal optimist. My viewpoint is that everything is perfect. We are on a journey and we are all in the universe and the universe is all in, in us and it is meant to be. And we talk about, in scientific terms, polarities and singularity and dualities. But I believe that we are in a singularity. I just think that we're in an existence or a reality is, that is out of kilter. But that is not to say that we cannot get it back into balance again. Looking forward in the immediate term, what are your objectives here in the next year or two in your work? Well, I'm, uh, I've just finished um, revising Breakthrough Power for a second edition. And so that, that's just the work level of um, you know connecting with a distributor in the U.S. And, and being able to finally get it into bookstores. It'll be in a catalog in the fall, so that's that's on the on the level of uh, what business I'm supposed to be doing and, uh, at a business level. My objective is to stay as centered as I can through whatever comes, and to hold my share of the light or my whatever can come through me, because I know that this experience of masses of people fearing and angering and all the all the negative things that are happening and probably will happen for some time yet needs to be balanced and in fact I might um, take up some more guitar lessons and try to balance out my life with fun and music and uh, that's whatever it takes to to so that I'll be able to uh, to walk in a calm way and um, just give love to what's happening and it's all so huge I, I, my heart just so goes up to the people of Japan the, there was a scientist who came to a conference I was at in Maryland a couple of weeks ago Osama Ida he had such courage to even get on a plane after it was after the earthquake but he calmly came and presented his knowledge and, and uh, he and his wife of course were you know, every thought was was back at home and on what was going on there. But he was an example of just carrying forward with what had been his mission and continues to be his mission as long as he can. So I so much agree with that, Gene. I have people pretty much all day long calling or skyping me and saying, "How on earth do you stay so calm?" Well, I think this is a time to stay calm. It's a responsibility to have everybody out there knowing that you are holding space for them, that you are thinking 
about them and you're delivering information and education and inspiration that they can take hold of and come to the decisions that they need to come to depending upon their circumstances and I think that's one thing in life that we don't always recognize is that you never know what circumstances people are in the other side of that phone. Do you see yourself this year becoming more active in attempting to help new scientists in what they're trying to achieve? always want to take every opportunity that I can. I'm asked to speak in Germany June 25th and I'll go do that, everything willing, and uh, invited to speak at a conference in, in July and I'll do that, willing. On another level, I uh, advocate for particular individual inventors who, if a philanthropist ever comes in my path, they better watch out because I'll grab onto them and say, this person is, has spent the last 20 years uh, doing putting all their resources into an invention and is so close, so very close, so has already proved in a proof of principle and prototype form that they have something. They just need to uh, be able to finish their life's work with a, an infusion of a reasonable amount of money. So I'll continue to advocate for, for people like that. And I enjoy talking with young people. I'll continue to... Uh, do that whenever I get a chance, university students. I'm of an age where, uh, you know, my sisters are retired, but uh, it doesn't look like that's in the cards. <laughs> and, and I'm doing what I love, so that's fine. Jean Manning, it has been such a privilege to talk to you today. I do hope that we stay in touch. If there is anything that we can do for you, please do let me know, and I'll look forward to sharing another program with you in the future. Thank you, David. It's been such a pleasure to talk to such an aware person. And to our listeners today, I do hope that you enjoyed this program as much as I. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.